You're crazy. You know, I, I was talking to a friend who has half the listenership we have, and they are able to count on like a thousand to two thousand dollars a month from their podcast. What? I know. It's because they got the we, yeah. Well, it's because they're catering to the one percent, right? I mean, well, they're like Macintosh, Macintosh, Mac, you know, whatever. But like, still, you know, like we we have a pretty niche audience here. I you, you would think, um, you know, people would would buck up and say, hey, we we really appreciate the the what five hours of entertainment that you give us a month at least. Yeah, but our niche Maybe. audience is the hoi polloi, right? Like us, professors make all the money. <laughs> yeah. Jeez, what are you talking about? Yeah, they're just ministers and professors. Ministers and professors, yeah. They just expense everything. (laughs) (laughs) You know, everything on on your taxes, like it's, uh, I was listening to a podcast, expense it. And and ministers and and professors never get get, uh, audited or anything like that. Right, exactly. Yeah, just take it out of the petty cash. (laughs) (laughs) Janet, Janet, can can you take this out of petty cash and uh, send it to Thomas and Sam and tell them thanks? Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash exactly. thinking religion and, uh, and give them our, our damn money because we really appreciate that. We've got one, one person on Patreon. We, we look pathetic. We do look pathetic. I, I've really it? thought about just killing it and saying like, just give us your money on PayPal. Yeah, you should do that. That way then no, then we can just be like, oh yeah, everybody's given and you know, like nothing draws a crowd like a crowd. So they'll be like, exactly. Hey, everybody else I should give too. And then they can't see that actually nobody's giving anything. Thank you, Dale. Dell is a, a wonderful person, and, and I love her so much. Yeah, and we, we get lots of people writing us in, writing writing in to us, saying things like, hey, can you talk about this on the show? Or, hey, I don't like the way you talked about this on the show. Or, hey, I really like this. That's fantastic. Thank you. But also, give us your, your cash, because we, we do this out of the goodness of our hearts. And we're at 139 episodes. And, and these things go for an hour. It used to be two hours. Um, you know, but, but add that up. That's a uh, that's that's a that's a lot of time. Yeah, so we're just going with the with the quantity, not the quality aspect. Is that what we're going with? Uh, it, you know, it, it's it's a democratized <laughs> it's just a lot of time. Era. It's just a lot of time. <laughs> Being president's hard work. I mean, it's just really hard work. Yeah, we need that executive time. <sighs> I was quoting member George W. during the two thousand and eight, no, two thousand four debates. You're too young. Um, he, he was debating with John Kerry and. and he just kept saying, you know, being president's just hard. It's just really hard. <laughs> and you felt bad for him because it's like you're a terrible president. And I'm sure it is hard. But that's that's your yeah. argument. That's true. But also, you can't ever say that. <laughs> yeah. It's just hard. It's just really hard. Yeah. Well, you know, Trump said early on, like, oh, it's a lot more work than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> like, I mean, you're literally the president. What did you think? You have to get up before noon. Okay. So did you see the hair thing? with trump oh my gosh so i was i was just sitting down to do this podcast and on android phones we have a little uh if you're on a like a google pixel phone if you swipe left it takes you to this news feed it's kind of like apple news right uh of stuff that, that you're interested in based on what google thinks you should be interested in based on what you you know look like you're interested in uh so snopes <laughs> because Evidently, I go to Snips too much, and Google knows that. I, sometimes when I go to Facebook, I'm that guy who says, like, no, actually, Obama is not a Muslim. Here's the Snip article. Um, Everybody loves the well-actually guy. <laughs> uh, Snope just, Snopes 
which has a it's I know it's it's a it's a bias horse f here everything's a bias horse. Uh, Snopes has a new article uh, <laughs> covering Trump's hair blowing in the wind. Uh, is Trump's hair blowing in the wind? Much ado was made on social media about the president's hair after uh, this video aired of his boarding Air Force One on a windy day. So the question is, was it true or not? And the rating, true. And and they yeah. uh, they took it apart. They showed it's it's not Photoshop. I've seen people on Twitter argue that it's Photoshop and not not real. Uh, Fox News aired it live <clears throat> during Neil Cavuto show, and they they have the tape from that from the second of February, and it's very disturbing. I mean, uh, you can't unsee <laughs> it. It's it, it's uh, it it it's the weirdest kind of creepiest thing I've seen in a long time. I'm not gonna lie, and. It, but you know what's kind of impressive? One, you know, one of my, <clears throat> not my immediate thought, but my second thought after watching that um, was, like, he does a really good job of getting volume out of that, that that's little what I, Okay, so I, I spent some time on this this morning. I think I was in the shower. It's one of my shower thoughts. They're, they're famous. Uh, when, when I teach Sunday school, I always talk about my, always talk about my shower thoughts. Um, not creepy. It's not like that church not at all not at all <laughs> uh so it, it, I, I was thinking that's that's dedication but you know he insists on doing his hair himself and even like in in you know presidential photos and stuff like he insists that he does his own hair and it kind of reminds me of the hope hicks thing with the machine where she has to press his pants <laughs> on air force <laughs> one um but uh this it makes total sense, you know, if he's got this like kind of outgrowth of hair from the top that that he kind of swoops back around, like like Darth Vader, you know, when he's meditating in the, in the pod. Yeah. It, it's weird though. Wow, I mean that that's a that's a hell of a commitment too. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I I guess I got to give him props for that, right? I mean, he's got an impressive amount of volume out of that little bit of what seems to be extremely thin hair. Um, you know, my philosophy is like if I lose much more, I'm just shaving it all off. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of the idea, you know, like, I mean, we as males lose our, lose our head and our hair on our head over time. Some of us, some of us don't, but he's, he, evidently has argued about genetics and how his father had a full head of hair and all this stuff. And evidently that's a big kind of a claim to fame for him. But, um, I I mean, I understand it is, you know, though I think, you know, it's kind of partly generational too, right? It is, um, it is a very sensitive, um, you know, kind of body image issue for, for a lot of men of a certain age. I mean, there are some younger men for, for whom it's an issue, but, yeah, I feel like people kind of our age and younger, they're kind of like, yeah, I start losing it, just shave it off, shave it off, you know, yeah. put a put a half guard on there, and you know, just go <laughs> just to, to town. town, and just do that every other day or something like that. It doesn't matter, like, you know, so we don't have the kind of I'm going to comb it over from this year to the other year, right? Um, yeah, the whole comb over movement, even even dyeing your hair. I mean, I think that's. Yeah, I think I think that's kind of going away for. A, I mean, I guess you know, just for men, they're still having commercials, but it'd be interesting to look at their balance sheet over the past twenty years because 
it does seem like a lot fewer people are doing it for that reason. Right now there are, there are guys that, you know, more guys are dying their hair for just kind of like, Hey, I want gray hair when I'm 18. So they're doing that. But, but the, Oh, you got to like brush it in to get rid of your gray so that you can, you know, look younger again. And now it's like, no, if you got gray hair when you're 35, that's super distinguished. Like we like yeah. it. So I, I started going, going gray when I was 14. And by the time I was, I mean, you, you knew me when I was what, 30, 32. I was I was pretty much gray, and uh, now I'm completely gray, <laughs> and my beard is gray. By the way, I have a sad story about the beard, but um, I know we haven't talked about that on the show. I know. I know. It, it's it's it, it's a sore subject, but um, and my dad went gray early, and I, I've always been really not not cognizant of it, but I understand Trump's kind of fascination with the hair thing because people are always like, so what do you like? 45 50 and like i'm 40 fu <laughs> like i'm sorry i have gray hair um and and then the i don't know a couple of months ago i was getting my hair cut by a different person at, at a salon i don't normally go to thing i normally just go to great clips and you know buzz 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 but uh anyway th- this person was like no you have great hair you know it's, it's kind of fine and it's gray and and it's it, that's perfect like this i have people who are 18 like you said uh, you know the 20 year olds yep. who come in and they want they want your hair <laughs> like, okay that's kind of weird why would you want this um yeah i mean i'm 39 and completely gray and it uh i, I get mistaken for being 50 all the time because of that but yeah it's one of those things anyway so yeah so i had this huge beard i started growing it in what september august August, September. And uh, so it's it's mid in January, like January, maybe like 25th, I believe. I can pull up the text from your wife. <laughs> and, uh, and and the wife's out of town and, and the kid's out of town. So I was like, sweet. You know, I've got a couple hours. Let me, let me crack open a beer. I'm going to get my, my, my clippers out. My, you know, because the beard on this, uh, the way my beard grows on the, on the uh, side of my head, on my cheeks, if you will, um, sideburns <laughs> down, you know, like sideburns down to the jaw. Yeah, yeah. It, it was getting a little uh, Grizzly Adams, you know, like you you could pull it and get like three or four inches out. And I was like, okay, I, I need to I need to trim the sides. I want to keep the length. How can I do that? So of course I go on YouTube because if you can fix a lawnmower or change your oil, <laughs> you can definitely fix, you a, can beard fix a beard via YouTube. So I go on YouTube and it's like, you should go buy these clippers. And I was like, well, I don't have those, but I have these other clippers from like wall drugs. Or something. <laughs> it's basically the same. Yeah, close enough. I just got guards, you know, that's like, all right, you know, this will work. So I uh, hook up the clippers and I'm, I'm kind of hitting the YouTube video, like, like space bar, like letting it play for a little bit, then pausing, then doing what they do. And uh, it goes really well. And, and I get the sides trimmed up and it's looking darn good. And I was like, wow, I'm, I'm going to go get my haircut and kind of get like a fade in, you know? Yeah. And it, it's looking awesome. And I was like, you know, my, my mustache is uh, a little long. You know, maybe I need to just trim up some of the mustache. So I, I don't forward the, the YouTube video and I start trimming the mustache. And I forgot what guard I had on or whatever. And anyway, and, and it I, I cut... <laughs> like kind of right at the corner of my lip up and it 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 it's like a golf divot you know just like completely like divots up <laughs> so i was like okay okay it, it, 
not all is lost. We, we can do this. We can power through this. Let's figure this out. So I started trimming to try to match the length. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this, this is not going well. Okay, let's trim the beard, not just the mustache, and see if we can get the beard and the mustache kind of back in, in whole. So I start, I try, you know, trim everything, like uh, hairs everywhere, because this is a massive beard. <laughs> and I'm so sad, but I'm, I'm like hate trimming. And I'm like, no, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I'm not going to lose my beard. Stay with me. You know, I'm doing like <laughs> chest compressions on the beard. Counting, you know, staying alive, staying alive. And, uh, and, and I get to this point where I look at myself in the mirror. And I've got like, <laughs> I've got like a seaman's beard, you know, like, like down below. And I, I've got honestly like a Hitler mustache. And I was like, Jesus, this is not going to work. So I shave off the mustache. And I was like, can I, can I go with the Siemens beard, you know, where you just have the, the, the chin strap thing? And, and I look stupid. Yeah. So I shaved it all off. And, and I started anew. I didn't tell my partner. And she got home. And uh, she walked in the door. And she had her you know, bags or something. She'd been out of town. And she was just kind of like, what the holy hell? <laughs> What, what happened to you? Because uh, it's the weirdest thing when you when you shave after like five or six months and, and you see your chin and you're like, my, my chin, I look like Popeye. Like I have no chin. Where's my chin? And it's all like small. Anyway, so yeah, so I was clean shaven, but now I'm like two weeks in and um, so it's so it's back it's so scruffy. we can kind of yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, we can get the beard chat going. Yeah, again yeah. Then. So I mean, with, within um, within I don't know a month, it'll be it'll be respectable again. Right now, I look like I just haven't shaved in you know a couple of weeks. But um, I, I'm 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 going at it on on a different path this time too. So last time I I kept shaving the the uh, cheek area, you know. So it was, it was yeah. kind of like low down on the cheek. This time I'm going to go like full uh, full Jim Carrey and, and let the the cheek area go. Until it gets to that point where it's like, man, you, you kind of need to trim that up. But I've always liked like beards that go kind of high up on the cheek. Yeah, mine's kind of. So what I do is I, you know, let mine grow in full, and then I've got a line on the cheek, but it's it's basically um, only as low as like I can get a line, right? So especially just the stragglers above it that I trim. So I don't let the stragglers that, you know, might grow up under my eye. I don't let those go. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, it, it's, um, I, I mean, the, what you got to do is, so what I do is I use, I use scissors like beard scissors. So you comb it out and then you trim it that way. So you, you trim the side even like your sideburns. Yeah. Well, uh, well, my wife cuts my hair and when she cuts my hair, she fades my sideburns into my beard. Yeah, but, I mean, you, you saw mine. I'm like, I've got yeah. like a different beard shape than you because mine, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I got like these wings that that kind of come off. This, yeah, the yeah, side. No, of, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to figure that out. But I, I think maybe letting it, it go a little higher upon onto the cheek will uh will help moderate the the beard. But there, there's something it really does change you when you grow a beard. Yeah, I mean, people look at you differently. And and you can tell the people that aren't comfortable with it, or people that think, "Oh wow, you're a professional. Why do you have a beard?" Mm -hmm. Or like, are, "Are you are you playing Santa Claus?" I got that a lot around Christmas time with the gray hair. Christmas is gray, yeah. <laughs> you're a white guy with gray hair. Are, are you playing Santa Claus? And I was like, "No, I'm going to be a wise person on Epiphany." Um, but but it it does something to you internally as well. 
I can't see myself without a beard anymore. Really? Yeah. So, so I, and we probably talked about this on the show before. I grew a goatee. I had a goatee for a really long time. I grew a goatee uh, the summer before ninth grade. Uh, Cause I had to start shaving the sixth grade. My dad was like, I'm, I'm putting my foot down. You have to shave every other day. Cause it was bad. You know, um, <clears throat> I've always been a rather, that's the German in me, right? So I've always been rather hairy. Um, so I grew a goatee in the summer of ninth grade and uh, like in 10th grade, one of my sister's friends dared me like, oh, I bet you won't shave it. And I was like, sure, I will. So I went and shaved it immediately. I was like, oh, I hate this. So I grew it back, you know, within a couple of weeks. Then I decided, when was it? Was it 2015, 2016? I decided I'm going to do a full beard. See that what was, it looks like. That was like 2015. I think it was 2015. Get big, right? And yeah. so I did. I got pretty big. It, of course, it looked like I put on 15 pounds or 20 pounds. Um but then I said, okay, well, I'm going to trim it down and I'm just going to see, right? And this is, so, so here's my thought. Like, what if, like, peak attractiveness for me is clean shaven? I would never know, right? Because as, as an adult, I've never seen my face clean shaven. You, you, you did once. No, so this day then I decided the beard's getting out of control. I can't do yeah. this anymore. Yeah. So I'm going to take it all the way down. I'm going to shave it completely. So, you know, I did the couple stages of, you know, trim it, take a picture, do a goatee, take a picture, do do funny things, take some pictures, and then shave it all off. I think I had those saved somewhere. Yes. And um, <laughs> I, went the, I went to the room where my wife was, and she was like, I don't even recognize you. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> it is. And I was like, I, I know instantly peak attractiveness for me is not clean shaven. <laughs> so then I grew it back and I've left it ever since. I can't I can't go back now. Yeah, but but you you trim it up every like Yeah, I do keep it yeah, so I, I don't you know, I, I went big and, and that was fun just to do it. Um but I, I don't let it get there anymore. You know, I'll let it go, you know, it's a little bit thicker uh, now in the because it's getting you know, it's still kind of wintertime down here, though we're coming out of it. Um you know, maybe keep it just a slightly shorter in the spring and summer. But yeah, it, it does. I, I do keep it pretty trim. Uh, you know, I'm in an office setting every day, too. So I don't think they would much appreciate if I just let it go like I had it in what, late 2015 or whatever. Yeah, when you were an enterprising grad student. Yeah, you can do anything with when you're a grad student. <laughs> say it's like it's like working for yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, Mariana was not a, a fan of me shaving, which I didn't realize. But because I've always had a clean shave, yeah, she, she sent me, she sent me a picture. <laughs> like, look what I just came home to. Do. <laughs> She's like, "What are you, what are you up to?" Hotly blink. Uh, and you hadn't told me. I know. I knew. I, I didn't tell anybody. I didn't know what's going to happen. I, I was so distraught, and then I was like ashamed. And then I was like, "Okay, it, it's going to grow back. It's going to grow back, and maybe it'll grow back before anybody sees me." <laughs> Because I don't have to see anybody. <laughs> right. It, but you know, this would have made a great Instagram story. Yeah. See, I, I, I've n- actually never have done an Instagram Instagram story. But just the, the um, like, you can just imagine, like, it getting worse and worse <laughs> and you getting more and more desperate. It would have been a perfect Instagram story. Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't know. I, I could have done a snap. I've done Snapchat stories, but I've, yeah, I've never done a. Yeah, it would have been a good Snapchat no one, story. No too. I've never done an Instagram story. Nobody's, nobody looks at Snapchat. I, I look yeah. at Instagram stories every now and then. We'll have to change that. We'll have to change that. Yeah, I think, I think Snapchat's hit, hit its prime. Looking at our metrics about how much how much our clients are spending on Snapchat compared to Instagram now. <laughs> It's all yeah. Instagram. Well, now, like with the Olympics, right? The Olympics is starting tonight. Opening ceremonies yeah. tomorrow night, Friday night. There, there are live events tonight. Uh, curling. I was watching a little bit of curling before we jumped on here. Uh, figure skating tonight. Um, <clears throat> it's always funny to me that you have events before the opening ceremony. But um, so, you know, a lot of platforms are doing Olympic stuff and Snapchat is. But Snapchat's like, yeah, we'll show three to six minute, you know, clips of live events. And I'm like three to six minutes. Like I don't. That's not yeah, what but, I want. But why? <laughs> right? Why? Like, who's going to be like? Oh yeah, I wanted to watch this event. Let me jump on Snapchat. Yeah, and watch that, it. That, it's like Twitter doing football no. games. You know, like it doesn't. It's not going to work. But Instagram stories, no. very popular, um, blowing up, huge. Yeah. Yeah, and you can, you know, they're becoming more versatile, and yeah, I, I, I like them. I mean, you know. So, so you know. I, I was I was scrolling through my Instagram stories today, and I got an ad from NBC about the about the Olympics, and it was it was about figure skating, and and I had the sound on, and all of a sudden, David Bowie's "Let's Dance" starts playing. And I was like, oh hell no, because I was kind of halfway paying attention to you know what I was doing because I was walking around the house or something. And I heard, you know, let's dance. And I was like, whoa, no, because I'm a huge David Bowie fan. And I, I looked down like half expecting it to be like a damn Levi's ad or, you know, some BS that the Bowie family has has sold out to. And uh, no, it was it was figure skating. I was like, oh, OK, I think I think, you know, David Jones would, would be OK with, uh, with with figure skating at the Olympics. Yeah, it's kind of gender bending. And anyway. Oh, I'm trying to yeah, yeah, trying to uh, just fight. No, that makes sense. So, um, I mean, but they they definitely sold out with the um, you know, letting the music go for <laughs> Rocket Man or what's what's he called? Stop again? it, Star Man. <laughs> There's a Star Man waiting up in the sky. He'd like to come and see us, but he thinks he'd blow our minds. Do you know that you don't? You, have you ever listened to David Bowie? Uh, not just Let's Dance, yes, but I mean, do, yes, do you know yes. the song Starman? Not Rocket Man. Yes, I do. It's, I know it's, it's much not better Rocket than Rocket Man. Man. And, and Bowie, later in his life, in his last tour in 2004, but before he had his first heart attack, he, he would joke about uh, Elton, and he would, he would actually sing a verse of Rocket Man in the middle of Starman. Anyway. <sighs> Yeah, that, that was pretty cool. So, so uh, Elon Musk. Okay. But so the yeah. SpaceX launch was, was pretty was awesome. Everything that our, our country should be working for and towards. And uh, I, I know the Apollo program had its beginnings and ends and, and uh, military, you know, uh, fashion. And there was a very good reason why the military pushed for that. And then we put so much money into it to, to beat the commies, uh, you know, to, to the moon, but to see our country, well, to see a private enterprise from a, an immigrant in our country <laughs> right, uh, exactly. do that. And, and, you know, like land the rocket boosters side by side. 
God, that was the best part. And, and right? now the, I, for and, me, that was the and best Elon's part. Elon's Roadster playing Bowie with Don't Panic, you know, from Douglas Adams, The Tucker's God. Yeah. Uh, it, it's now on a, a trajectory out to the asteroid belt. Like, they were trying to maybe get to Mars, but <laughs> it was it was too successful. So now the tra- the trajectory, yeah, it's, it's actually out in it's, uh, around it. Ceres yeah. in the asteroid belt, uh, which is a, a minor planet out there. And um, a plutoid, if you will. Uh, Rand Paul is still speaking. He's got nice hair tonight. He's re- he he recovered from the tackle. Uh, well, anyway, so uh, that that was amazing. And being a former science teacher, um, I I just think about the times that you know we would we would live stream things like the the last shuttle launch. I got to live stream that with my kids or my students and, and watch that with them and, and talk about it and say like, this is a big part of our childhood and challenger. And on my back today, I have a, I have a, a challenger patch that I bought at space camp <laughs> in, in Huntsville, Alabama, cause I'm a huge space nerd. Um, you know, and talk about what challenger meant to me and, and what the space shuttle program meant to us growing up. And, and, you know, that was the last one in 2012. And and now we're entering into this new era where it's going to be different types of rockets that are taking people into space. And now we get the fruition of that finally, because our, our freaking government is so broken that it can't agree on, you know, passing a budget, let alone putting, putting people in space, which is what our government needs to be doing because Velcro and high C and, and uh, all sorts of good things come out of that. But anyway, it's it's like three dollars for every every uh, penny that that we spend on NASA is is returned into the economy. But who who am I to talk? But yeah, that, that's cool. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I also think you know the, the thing about doing this in 2018 with the tech that we have now is like we had cameras on the yeah. rockets, right? Right. I mean, how crazy is that? So, so we were able to see, watch all these different views, you know, watch it, you know, from, from the ground, watch it from the rocket. And then, you know, you could see earth kind of in the distance from some of the camera angles. And obviously you could see Elon Musk's um, roadster, his Tesla roadster strapped to it. And we got to see the, the boosters land simultaneously, which was brilliant, right? Stuck the landing. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's the type of stuff that gets yeah, really you is. know people excited, and um, we, and we, we you know we yeah, need things like think that bigger than um, than ourselves. To, and, and oh, the budget's gonna, you know the, the government's going to shut down again tonight, and uh, you know Donald Trump uh, made this tweet, and this guy beat his wife, and I mean those are those are all things that, that we have to consider and we have to talk about, right? But yeah. But it's these big things that that exactly. that one bring you to bring people together, but two also get you excited, and and it's and like you're saying, it's from these big things, saying yeah, let's shoot a Tesla Roadster to Mars and maybe pass Mars in the asteroid belt, that then allows you to then kind of uh, design and create all these other little things that you wouldn't exactly. be able to exactly apart from that, right? Because because if you because to do this thing that you're dreaming to do, it requires you to to kind of make it up as you go along and figure out all these other things. But it's also when you get the excitement there from the public and from the legislatures and willing to spend the money 
Like that's how you can justify that. You can only justify it by big things like this. We're going to shoot off the biggest rocket ever and we're going to strap a Tesla Roadster to it. And we're going to put a guy in the seat and we're going to play some David Bowie, right? Like that gets you excited. You're not going to get excited by somebody saying, oh, we're going to, you know, we're going to do a little <laughs> test launch over here and we're not going to video it. And yeah, and it, I don't know, like crap like that. I don't, I don't know. So yeah, I mean, it was super exciting. It was, I mean, I, I think kind of one of the biggest things since yeah, the it was eclipse. Up there. So uh, when I was, again, when I was teaching, um, I, I'm looking at this plaque over my desk. That's from the front page of the Spartanburg, South Carolina uh, newspaper from uh, 2010, 2011. And uh, I, I got this bright idea because <laughs> we, we had like an advisory group that met every morning from 8 to eight twenty, you know, and you kind of get around the horn and check in with everybody. And it was a co-ed group. So it was like 10, you know, eighth grade boys and girls. And they were always awkward. And we had a, we had a, a you know, stupid curriculum we we're supposed to follow developmental designs, I believe was the, the name. And I went to Duluth, Minnesota to get trained in it. And, you know, it was all BS, but we, um, our advisory was really tight that year and, and I'm still friends with a lot of those students and they've all graduated and, and they, you know, we still keep up, but we would do random crazy stuff like, Hey, what's, what's the YouTube video of the day? And we would pick three YouTube videos and kind of vote on it. And sometimes it was silly and sometimes it, it was educational, but one kid, one student brought in a, uh, a video about this, this dad and his son who launched a balloon into space and they had a payload in it that had like uh, an early iPhone, of course, but an iPhone for, for some tracking and like a, a, a GPS thing and uh, kind of a rudimentary GoPro before GoPros were things. Um, and, and they attached it to a big latex balloon and they sent it up into space and they tracked it. And then anyway, they got these really cool pictures and it got up to, you know, so many miles high and, you know, and they, and they had to drive like 40 miles out to go, go retrieve it. And it was in some tree and they had to climb up the tree to get it. And one of my students said, wouldn't that be cool if we could do that? And I was like, you know what? We're doing that. <laughs> so, so for like six months, uh, we, we would, we would take a couple of days a week and, and I, I can't believe I got away with this. Um, we, we put a balloon into space and we made the front page of the paper and we're on the news and, and, we made national news and it was, it was pretty cool. And, and the launch was incredible. And we had all these schools come watch, you know, watch when the, when the launch went off, but the, the six months leading up to that was a lot of grueling work. And I had, I had kids who were not interested, you know, I was a science and robotics teacher, but I had kids who were not interested in science or robotics who were doing things like the, the, the logistics of it. They were contacting the sheriff's departments. They were contacting the department of natural resources. And they're saying like, Hey, we're going to do this. What are, what are the regulations? Cause the kids would come to me and say like, what, what do we do? And I'm like, I don't know. You're like here, <laughs> let's, let's figure out who to call. <laughs> let's, let's do this. Um, yeah. you know, and, and we, we figured out the wind patterns. We got in touch with, you know, Noah and, and all these really so, sort of, you know, interesting government agencies and kids were interfacing there. And then we also had a parachute team, because the thing was going to fall and we had a, a container team who was in charge of designing the container. And we had a, a team that was in charge of, like I said, publicity and communications. And then we had a team that was in charge of uh, the, the technology inside of it. 
and they all had to work together and we had weekly meetings and it, it was like a little company and and these kids took it so damn seriously and it was yeah. the coolest thing i've ever seen and on those two or three days of the week where i wasn't lecturing about you know electron clouds or something uh, to see those kids work together on that level and, and kind of push me out and they're like we don't we don't need you like you just guide us like help us out but we'll come to you when we need you teacher like <laughs> otherwise you're you're along for the ride here um we, we've got a hard due date and we've got to make this happen with this within a certain time and uh <laughs> you know by the end <laughs> I mean, very we, small we had students who were like at two o'clock in the morning like texting me like well the wind's gonna be a little crazy you know on, on the 14th we gotta make sure and i'm like what are you doing <laughs> Right, but 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 so, it's just the kid saying, "Wouldn't it be cool if we could put a balloon in outer space?" And then they learn all of these other skills because they're interested in the, they have this dream, this end goal, and they learn how to interface with federal agencies, and they learn about wind patterns, and they learn it's you know, what you need to do with you know, <laughs> you design, know? with R and D, right, with the design of it to figure out, right, to figure out you know what's going to survive the drop and all. So they learn all and this so along cool. the way. I mean, it was it was amazing because they have this I mean, big it, dream. It was li- literally the, the one of the. I mean, besides the birth of my children and and my second marriage, the, the coolest thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Now, now I'm gonna get a little. <clears throat> Hold on, I gotta I gotta wipe my eyes. There we go. Um. So, <clears throat> what? Let's let's um. Let's get off of that topic because I, I can get on that that relevant. But but it's so cool, and it, it's so cool to see Elon Musk, you know, capturing the, the imagination of, of Americans. I mean, he really is Thomas Edison of the twenty first century, or or Nikola Tesla, whoever you want to point there. Yeah. But speaking of Tesla, um, have, have you been following any news about the CBF lately, Thomas? <laughs> um. <clears throat> I mean, honestly, no. I mean, yes, 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 a little bit. Of course, I know what some of the stuff that's going on. But tomorrow's a big day. Um, Thursday, no, uh, Friday, Friday. I know Friday, but I don't. I don't know. When it pops up, I realize I don't miss this. <laughs> Which sounds bad, right? But, but for me, it's yeah. like I don't miss having having these arguments that like should have been settled decades The Illumination ago. Project began at the 2016 CBF General Assembly in Greensboro, North Carolina. I was there to seek ways to model unity through cooperation amid cultural change. <clears throat> the first order of business was a review of an organizational value adopted by CBF leadership in 2000, describing the foundation of a Christian sexual ethic as marriage between a man and a woman and celibacy and singleness. Well, we've all fallen short of that many of us have (laughs) because of this organizational value the cooperative baptist fellowship does not allow for the expenditure of funds for organizations or causes that condone advocate or affirm homosexuality the current policy states neither does this uh, cbf organizational value allow for the purposeful hiring of a staff person or the sending of a missionary who is a practicing homosexual but if you're celibate and you're homosexual all good Keep it in your pants, homosexuals. Uh, so over the next 18 months, we had, we, we've had had the Illumination Project where the uh, CBF appointed 
some uh, some white males to uh, cis white males to go figure out um, what the CBF should do. And Friday, February 9th, uh, in Decatur, we're gonna we're gonna have a vote. So uh, there's a story by BNG, the Baptist News Global, which Thomas used to be a contributor to. Caveat mTOR, uh, featuring Shaw Chen. I'm sorry, Shaw Chen Caps. <laughs> I knew I was going to mess up her name. Uh, who was um, the incoming? What is she? Moderator, CBF moderator. Yeah, and she's in Beaufort, moderator. South Carolina. So she's part of CBF South Carolina, which is my home congregation group. And uh, much love for Jay Keevy and Debbie and and all the wonderful people involved. Mary Aldridge. Um, formerly of the CBF South Carolina, the, the best CBF in the CBF, if you will. Um, we are looking at how to cooperate and engage in commitment to beloved community despite principal differences, she said. When I focus on the why, then that energizes me and helps me understand how important this process is. I'm really proud of what we've, what we've done. We recognize it's not a perfect process, nor is it going to be a perfect outcome for everyone, but it is faithful and it is bold. I don't want the Illumination Project to define us because we are much, much bigger than that, she said. We are about sharing the good news of Jesus by sending field personnel, not gay, around the world to empower churches to live into their calling. So we'll see what happens tomorrow. I mean, we all kind of know what's going to happen. Uh, we, we've all had some debriefings and phone calls, and I've been on lots of Facebook private groups and <laughs> phone calls and private phone calls and text messages and signal messages. And it, it, it feels like, like, like you said, like I, I, I can understand why someone who is not a part of this doesn't want to be a part of that. Cause it, it's, it's been yeah. very political. Well, I mean, you know, we'll see what way. they come out with. Yeah. I mean, we're, we both have a pretty strong idea what it's going to be, but mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just like, once I got out, you know, when I was part of the CBF, I was, yeah, I'm here. Like, let's fight the good fight. But realize pretty quickly, uh, it sure seems like a dead end. And most of the people that I know that were trying to do that, mainly with the exception of you and Mariana, all also decided like, yeah, no, let's just go somewhere <laughs> that kind of like affirms us and affirms, you know, people. I mean, and you're still there fighting the good fight. And, you know, it's, you know, God bless you for it, but, um, well, well, it's, it, it's like the, the, the current leadership, not everyone indicator, but some of the current leadership, I, I think, uh, has different values than I do, especially, um, I, I don't want to speak for Mariana, but I know that, uh, the CBF has meant so much to me, you know, personally, after having gone through the the Southern Baptist world and, and the same thing with Mariana and she speaks about this and writes about it on her blog and you can go to Mariana.net. It's, it's a fun read or read her stuff on ethics daily. Um, but the, the hard part for me is that the CBF kind of was what I'd always looked for as, as a Baptist, uh, you know, something that, something that is moderate, something that, you know, does uphold, um, you know, local autonomy and priesthood of all believers and all that stuff. But it, it's like Mariana and I talked about on our podcast last week on Thinking Baptist, like 
that comes with a, a cost or with a price. And with that price is um, the sort of inward looking nature of, of what it means to be a Baptist. And, and people don't necessarily want to spend time on things like church history or, <laughs> you know, figuring out doctrine or theology on a complicated level. And things like this, and, and I'm not saying that, that you know, Sean or, or anybody that's in, involved in the Illumination Project, you know, Gary, whoever, I, I mean, I know a, a lot of people who are on the on the project there, and, and they've, they've done hard work with all those conference calls. Just kidding. Not really. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it seems like a, a temporary Band-Aid on top of something that's a much bigger issue within the life of the CBF. And I think, you know, you look at something like, like the Alliance of Baptist and they're never going to be a, a denomination. I mean, the Alliance is, is tiny. The, the Alliance has a, 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 even a much smaller footprint than the CBF. Right. And, and I, I've got friends who are saying like, why don't you just go Alliance? Well, yeah, but that's more like, not saying that's more like a support group, but the CBF has the potential to be a real fellowship or denominate work as Susie says, Susie Painter. But I don't think that we're honoring that by putting band-aids onto no, bullet I mean, holes. I think I can speak maybe more freely about this than you can. Um, <clears throat> since I'm completely out of it and have been for years now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Perhaps there were there were some serious issues that led to the formation of the CBO issues that they had with the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, those seem to mostly have been. I mean, yeah, we can talk about, you know, soul competency and all that stuff, uh, but mostly it was drinking and uh, women in ministry. Um, and that's fine. And they took a stance on those. Um I think they have not done enough for women in ministry. I think they still don't. I think they they are able to pat themselves on the back for saying we support women women in ministry, but uh, they're often not doing the hard work of actually pushing churches. Six point five percent of CBF churches have a woman right. uh, pastor. Um, and right, and we had a professor at Div School that basically said they were SBC light, which is what it looks like. And when you have this question come up and you have, you know, so maybe, yes, we should, maybe it's not a bad thing to allow churches to be duly aligned with the CBF and the SBC. The problem is that that's the majority of the churches, right? There aren't that many churches that are solely CBF. And, and part of that, and you can talk about the tactics, but part of that is uh, in some um, states, they went in and said, Absolutely, you can be duly aligned and your members can decide if they want to give their money to CBF or if they want to give it to you know the um, SBC or whatever, and that's okay. And then in a few states like Florida, uh, CBF folks came in and said, no, you got to choose, which means CBF Florida is not that big and it means they made some enemies, but it also means like they took a stand. Um, but that's the, that's the exception in CBF. And... Um, it's okay. And then the CBF says, well, we don't take stances on, you know, like social issues, except you do. You have a hiring policy against hiring gay people. 
you've taken a stance on a social and a theological issue. So like, just like, I don't know, like, just don't play games. Like, just be honest, right? If you're scared about losing your money because, you know, because you might take a stance that pisses off some, some of the more conservative people, then just tell us that and just tell us you really care about the money and you want to make these certain people happy, then fine, just do that. Right. And then just go there and, and don't kind of toy with everybody else and don't make these. I, I don't know. I just feel like so much of it is patting themselves on the back because they're not SBC and not realizing all the ways that they are still just like the SBC. And, and that's. And, and I, I think a lot of it also is generational and, and geographical yeah. going yeah. along with what you said and just kind of augmenting that because you've got the Texas Baptist, which is, you know, where Susie Pender and they comes are big from. And they have a lot of money um, and they have a lot of influence. And, and they're more traditional and more conservative. You know, even though... Even though the strongest, and, and the the strongest um, CBF state network is North Carolina. Right? I mean, well, maybe besides yeah. Texas. And South Carolina. No, I mean, South Carolina is definitely growing. But I still think it's like Texas and North Carolina. <laughs> no, kidding, yeah, yeah. And then it's kind of a gap to everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Larry in, in North Carolina has, has done a great job. And, and you know, Florida's growing and, and we've got uh, out west now. But yeah, Texas is kind of its own little denomination within the CBF. And they, they have their own rules and their own bylaws. And I mean, it's it's a it's a similar thing. Even, even the seminaries there yeah. are kind of autonomous from, you know, the, the rest of the, the denominate work as it is. So we haven't figured out that identity piece, which is what, like you're right. saying, our, our professor <laughs> called it SBC light has always railed against. But that's the question. Um, I mean, think about that's the question that you and I were asking eight or 10 years ago. Right? 10 years ago. Yeah. What is, yeah. what is CPF's identity other than we're not Southern Baptist? Like that's not right. enough. Could you, could that's you, not enough to sustain you. You need something else. Now, now I'll say like, okay, I'm Presbyterian now. I think there are some similar issues in the Presbyterian church, though I think recently they've done the hard work of taking stands and people are leaving and, and, you know, they've said, you know what, we're going to be a smaller, but we're going to be more intentional and a more focused denomination. And we're going to be more clear about who we are. And that means they've lost people and they've lost money and they're saying, okay, we're just going to deal with this when we move forward. I'm not saying that you always need to like take a, a really harsh stand and, you know, just say, well, fine, leave. If you disagree with us, we don't want you here. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is at a certain point, you have to say, you know, these are my convictions and I have to stand up for my convictions and I'm not going to tiptoe around other people because I'm scared they may quit giving me their money. I mean, right. So it's not just Baptists. I mean, there are people that do it in every denomination. There are pastors that do it in their churches, right? We're not moving forward when, when we're, when that's what we're doing, when we're scared about, well, we don't want, I can't say this in a sermon because you know, that person sits on the back row that gives $20,000 a year might stop giving their money. I had a, I I can't get too far in, but I had someone, I I can say this. I had a client um, who's not a client anymore couple of years ago who uh, basically said that we're like, we don't want to allow for this language on our website or for things like online giving and some other stuff uh, on our website, because this person who, like you just said, gives, you know, a large part of our budget every year in one lump sum uh, is very traditional. And this person doesn't want to allow for that. And I was kind of like, Oh, Oh, okay. Well, I mean, you realize like, that person's 
Well, yeah, and, and we'll cross that bridge when that person's not here anymore. But <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. And this was a senior pastor telling me this, and you know, of a rather large church. And I was like, wow, okay, well, oh, all right. I mean, your wish is my command. Yeah, I mean, you know, let me kick your ring. But geez, here's the thing: I understand. Like, yeah, it takes money to you know, keep the church going, to keep a denomination going. I under, like you have to have money. I understand that, but but the idea that if we lose it from this source, right? If, so if we have to cater to this person and if we stop catering to this particular person and we lose the money, that it won't come from anywhere else. I mean, think about the money that's lost from the people that are your, you know, your age and my age, they're our age that were in the CBF that are no longer in the CBF because the CBF has taken stances like this. And because, you know, friends of ours that were missionaries got outed. And so the CBF fired them and like pulled them off the field I think about all these people that are no longer CBF that are in their, you know, early 30s, late 30s, early 40s. I mean, think about all the giving power that's lost because of because the CBF has has continued to cater toward certain views and the money that certain people give. Right. I'm I'm not saying it would have been, you know, made up overnight, but I'm pretty confident it would have been made up. Yeah, but it's it's much easier to. Yeah, the status quo. See, yeah, I mean, see the gift horse in the mouth, in the mouth, and yeah. And I mean, I don't know. It's certainly easier for me now. Like, I'm not on a church staff. I like I have a lot of freedom that a lot of people don't have. I understand that, but I also think that because of that, you know, I should speak up and say some things that I know some other people want to say that they can't say, right? And, yeah. And and I just like at a certain point, like you can't live with it anymore, and you know that's you. That's, you know, largely where we were. It's like, this is, I understand that maybe some people need to keep fighting this fight within the CBF. We don't need to. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. We, we, we talk about this a lot. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I mean, you know, I do like, yeah, me and you and, you know, Trinity and Mariana talk about it a lot. We're like, Hey, like come Presbyterian and yeah, <laughs> so, you know, we're trying. So but, yeah, that's a Calvin thing. And I, I know Sam, I know yeah, Sam. But like, yeah, I'm not even, uh, I'm so not Calvinist. Um, Dude, yeah, I'm not a good, pre- I'm not a good Presbyterian, but I wasn't a good Baptist either. So it's like, <laughs> I'm going to be good at whatever I do. You were good for like the first 20 years, 25 years. Yeah, I was a really good Baptist for, yeah, probably the first 20 years or so. Yeah. So see, yeah. there, there's hope. You might yeah, come back. 18 years. Yeah, I was I was definitely a good Baptist for the 18 or 20 years. All right. So yeah. so let, let's, let's spitball it. Um, and, and as we wrap up here, let's say that the CBF tomorrow votes and the Illumina- Illumination Project. What an unfortunate branding name. Susie, you got my number. Call me. <laughs> Harrelson Agency can help with this. When the hotline bling used to, yeah, you never call me on my cell phone. Um, <laughs> so oh, say that the CBF votes to, I don't know, let, let's spitball, uh, no gay missionaries, missionaries who identify as homosexual. I'll say it that way. Uh, a hiring ban, uh, we'll throw that away. Who cares? Right. And, and honestly, I think if someone took them to, I know they're a nonprofit and yay citizens. I, United. I don't know. No, I think they'd win that because they've been very clear that they, that they have the ban in place. So I, I think that, um, 
I think they'd win that. It, you know, I think they could make that argument from a religious liberty perspective that you know it's bound up in their religious identity. I mean, the fact that they're doing the Illumination Project, I think, speaks to that. I think they'd win that lawsuit if somebody took them to court over their hiring practice. Yeah, I think so too. So you know, it's, 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 say they they throw away the hiring practice, but you know, no gay missionaries, no gay field personnel. Um, and it's up to the local church. We're not going to make a statement because we're a 21st century denominate network, you know, that, that kind of statement. And I have no idea how it's going to shake out. So please don't at me. Um, don't call me unless you're Susie and you want to talk about branding. Um, <laughs> Reverend Painter. Uh, how, how do you think that shakes out? Like, like do, do you ever um, see this? Do I, you see the CBF sustaining uh, over the next you know, 25 years. No, really? Damn Thomas. Yeah. No, don't I, I mean, if, if, I don't, I think if there aren't significant changes, I think in 25 years in 20 or 25 years, the CPF will be the size of the Alliance. Maybe really. Yeah. I mean, I, all mainline denominations are shrinking, but I mean, like what do they, what do they have going for them? Right, they're largely they're a stopgap for people who are leaving the Southern Baptist Church. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. No, I mean, I like that's their identity. Dude, they, but they're they not the SBC. Whole Rebel and, Alliance on the Millennium Falcon and the Last Jedi. Never mind. So no, I mean, I think that no, if that's what they do, one, I think if that's what they do, it's not going to satisfy the people that want them to make real change yeah. because it's going to feel like the status quo because it will be largely the status quo, right? You can't come out after you've been, you know, you've been saying for 20 odd years, we don't make statements, even though we have a hiring policy against hiring gay people, which is a statement. And then say, okay, we're going to take that policy away, but we're not going to say anything else because we don't make statements. Like you've been making a statement for 20 well, years. Of course you And the make statement statements. was done as a uh, kind of, kind of a, a quick, like it, it was during a business meeting and a general assembly. And it was done in response to a, like a honestly, like a bad press article that it came out that the uh, the SBC had been pushing. Yeah, and so I mean, I don't know. So no, I think if if that's what happens, I think a lot of people that were hanging on to try to fight the good fight are gonna they're gonna give up because they're going to uh, think that it's it's not worth it. It's not worth their time or energy. They can go somewhere where they are valued uh, and they are appreciated. And where the people that they value and they appreciate, i.e. everybody, are also valued and appreciated. And they don't need to stick around that. And so I think young people will continue to leave the CBF. It will continue to get older. And then as those older members die, their money's going to dry up and they're going to realize we don't have any young people because we catered to the that, old people. Yeah, I think that that is a big thing is the generational emphasis. I really do. I mean, the other thing is like it just – it just denomination, um, like they're, they're like people don't have the same fealty to denominations now that they used to when our parents and grandparents were growing up, right? I mean, even for me, like it was a massive deal to no longer be Southern Baptist, right? Because I grew up definitely steeped in kind of this fundamentalist Southern Baptist view. But then when I became CBF, that was big, and then after that, I realized like, oh, like this doesn't matter at all. The denomination doesn't. Yeah, I know a lot of. A lot of people that are still Southern Baptists that think anybody who's not Southern Baptist is going to hell. That's okay. Like, I don't have time for you. I don't care. All right. Just move on. But, and so I, th I think that what the CBF is and was, was necessary and meant a lot for people who were in the Southern Baptist and who were pushed out. 
right? During what, you know, our side would call the takeover. But I don't think anybody 30 or under, they don't have that memory because they weren't there for that. And if, if they grew up in Southern Baptist, they don't like it. Like they're just going to leave the church altogether or they're going to go to a completely different denomination. They don't need a stopgap, right? Which is what I feel like a lot of people needed. But I don't feel like there's the need for that anymore. So what can, as we wrap up, what can the Southern Baptist, what can the CPF do um, to, to get over that hump of being a stopgap? I mean, I, I think the I think the alliance has carved out their they, little uh, niche. Yeah, I think yeah, the alliance definitely has carved out their niche. Um, I think they got to they've got to make some significant changes. I think that um, the first um, significant change that's necessary is saying we were wrong and we repent of this, and we're going to stand firm and say that um, you know doesn't matter who you are or who you love, uh, you know God loves you. Period. End of story. And right, move on from there. They can say more or less, but they got to at least say that much. Um, I think if they say, well, we're still going to allow, you know, certain people who feel this way to say this and certain people who feel that way to say that, that's not going to cut it. I think you got to make a bold statement and then maybe actually try to get to some little B Baptist roots, right? Which is like, seems like they've been trying, but, but they haven't really done well. Right, let's actually get back to some of that, that some people in the CBF are doing well. Um, and then maybe they can actually carve out a kind of solid Baptist identity. Um, but I don't know. I, I mean, really, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, like, there's there's also no appetite in our country right now. Right, for exactly. And uh, I think that's... And there hasn't been for a while, and I don't see that And I think that's what soon. many people in the CBF world don't understand. Or... or, or can't understand because of their situation. right well when you're in it it's so hard to see it right and i understand that because they don't feel moderate because they're not southern baptist right i mean that's right. where a lot of them are they feel like they've moved really far left and it's like no you haven't like if you open your eyes and you step back a little bit like you took a little shuffle step to the left right and the rest of us have like been on a walkabout to the left <laughs>